Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good to see you all. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, time this, this evening or you haven't been around for a while, welcome to Man on the Run, our series through the book of Jonah. So we are so excited about this series. We've been loving it. We love digging into the, the short four-chapter book that's often misunderstood. We, we people, um, they emphasize the whale, they emphasize a whole bunch of things, and it seems like it's so far removed from our normal life that we almost disregard it as a, something that must teach a Sunday school and color in the whale, and that's about it. Or maybe named after a band. If you're a hip, hipster, you'll know the band Jonah and the Whale. Good band. But it's more than just a catchy name or a catchy story to tell. We believe that in this, this four-chapter book, you can read it literally from, if you're a slow reader, I'll give you 12 minutes. You can read four chapters. It's that short, but we believe that that book is so relevant to who we are and where we are today and who we are called to be in the city. So we really are loving getting into it. If you have access to the internet, I would love to encourage you to go on every, every morning. For the last 14 days, we've already gone 14 days in, but there's another 21 more days to go. We're going through a blog journey um, through the book of Jonah. Just different thoughts, different places, and to help you and equip us to be people who are knowing where to read, what to read, how to ask God for things, how to pray, and how to allow God to do work in our hearts. It'll take you 10 minutes every morning. So I encourage you, if you don't know where to begin, this is, you say, ah, where do I read in this thing? So I don't even understand where to go. Come on the journey with us on Jonah. It's a good place to start. We'll have, those blogs will help you, and I really pray that you would start to get the life of God out of the Word of God, because this thing brings life. It brings change. If this is your only diet of Christianity or spiritual input in the week, one 30-minute sermon, if it's Mark preaching a 40-minute sermon a week, sometimes 45, 50 minutes, I don't know. But if this is your only diet of preaching or input that you're getting, I'm telling you, you're going to grow up anemic and weak, and you'll only limp through life. And God wants to make us thrive through the weeks and have a huge value in our lives and in our city. And that only thing comes from the Word of God on your own. So we can't labor that point enough. So get, get going with us. If you're a little bit behind, don't worry. They're so short you can catch up. That's how easy it is. Everyone okay? Good. Wonderful. If you can give me a Sunday evening little wave, polite wave, just to make sure. Thank you. That's a Sunday evening one. Good. Just follow there. Thank you very much. That's really good. I like that. But just to bring you up to speed, if you, are, uh, if you haven't been around or if you're like me and you forget details very quickly, as my wife will remind me, she'll have to get my attention. Let me bring you up to speed again, Gabe, with the plan. I'm like, good, I've got it. Just for that sort of thing, we've got to, for, maybe for my sake, just to bring you up to speed. The book of Jonah opens up with this amazing thing. It says, God spoke to Jonah. And aren't you glad that we serve a God that speaks? Yeah. I'm very glad because we do not serve a God who is removed from our lives or so far away that he, he doesn't call, he doesn't speak, he just hopes we can make a, a few good guesses along the journey. We believe that we have a God who speaks. He's not a God foreign to us. He's a God that comes close and says, I want to speak to you and primarily through, our, through his word to us. But what happens was, he speaks, and he says to Jonah, go to this land called Nineveh. Jonah was a man who loved God, was a man who was a prophet, had been used by God already, but maybe he had, he had settled into his own comfort, he had settled into this thing works for me type of road, um, lifestyle, and God speaks to shift him out of that and says, go to the land of Nineveh. The incredible story I love is the fact that God calls, but it just shows that that's his nature. He keeps calling and he keeps calling us, but our nature, our response is to always do what? We run. 
I don't know if I'm the only one who sees myself in the character of Jonah, but I know time after time God has called me to something, maybe some level of obedience to step out, to trust Him, to believe in Him for something, to, to, to really to give up something, to start doing something, to go somewhere for Him, to speak to someone for Him. God's called me to do something like that, and, and I know my fickle heart often says, no thanks, I'll go the other way. I'll settle for something else. And Jonah did the exact same thing. And we find in the first few weeks as we go, went through this series, God said, go to Nineveh, which is on the map as far west as you could go, far east you could go if you were a person in those days. Nineveh was far for them, very far east. And, and what Jonah's response was, so God said, go there as far east as you can go as a Jewish boy. They didn't want to go to Nineveh because Nineveh, the people of Nineveh were their feared enemies. They used to impale them. They used to, um, they used to kill people. They were terrorists of the day. They were against, they were the enemies of Israel. So good Jewish boys never went to Nineveh. They, they stood, stayed away as far away as possible as they can from that place. And God says, go there. Could I just get some more water? Sorry. Singing and preaching is very thirsty work. Thank you, Mish. Cheers. So God says go, Jonah says no. Basically, that's the, the premise of the story and the premise of my life. God has said go, and I've often said no. What happens? God said go as far east as you can go, but what he did in response went as far west as he could go to get away from God. Nineveh on the map is over there. Tarshish is where modern day Spain plus minus would be. And in a Jewish mind, that was as far as you could go before the world would just fall off. That was the edge of the world. You know, in those days, the world was flat. Things have changed, you know. No, that's not true. In those days, they thought the world was flat, and they thought that was the furthest point they could go. So Jonah, to get away from God, ran as far as the east was to the west to get away from God. The great news that we're finding is that we find a scripture in the book of Psalms that says, Jesus removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And how great is that? That for me gives courage to a, a rebellious heart that's saying that no matter how far I run, no matter how many times you've run, no matter how uh, many times you think you've failed God, I want to tell you His grace goes further still. Yeah. You think I've gone too far, Gabe. You don't know what I've done. I, I, or maybe I'm just, I, I can't really, I, maybe I can just be a Christian, but I can't really do much for God. I can't step out and be used by Him because I've disqualified myself. I want to tell you the great news of the gospel is it's never been about you yeah. and your qualifications. Tough if you've, if, you, if you've put a lot of weight on yourself. But I'm telling you, the good news of the gospel is you can run far, His grace runs further still. Yeah. Come on. Is that not good news? I could hear that every day. It filled me up with courage. So we learned that we, we run, but God pursues. That's the nature of, of His character. He pursues us. And so ever since the beginning, God is a God who's been generous. He's giving us things. He has open hands to us. If you're sitting here and you think God is holding out on you, it could be nothing, nothing could be further than the truth. The very first page of the Bible, we see God giving everything to man. And he doesn't stop. The more you turn the pages, you realize that he is a generous God. He's never retracted his hands, even up to the point where he said, I'm actually going to give my only son to you. The generosity of a father. That's what I want to preach. That's what I want to live, is knowing that I have a father who's generous. And that's who God is. And God, in the very beginning, says, I'm going to give you Adam and Eve, the prototype male and female. I'm going to give you everything. So he gives them everything. But man in its nature is to, to settle down, to, to, to sub, subtract from those things, to run away from what God is saying to him. Man settled for a fruit. How's that? I, I, you know, it's one of those things, those, those game shows where the guy gets it wrong and you hear the audience say, give him another chance, give him another chance. Anyone ever seen one of those game shows? Or was that just Zimbabwe days? Sorry. 
I, I, every time I read that, I'm always like, no, Adam, give him another chance, please. Because he had been given everything, but he settled for a fruit. That's the enemy's plot. The enemy's plot in our lives. The Father wants to increase, enlarge, grow us, call us to a bigger story than we could ever manufacture on our own. But the human nature and the enemy's plan is to subtract and minimize us and set, get us, maybe if we don't sin or run far, 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 he gets us to settle in passivity. Yeah. Settle in secluded, safe, sanitized living. Yeah. When the gospel says, I'm calling you out of that place. Yeah. And I need to preach this to myself. Is that all right? Can you receive this this evening? So this is the, the premise. God said go. Jonah said no. He ran away. So that's where we are. So you find on the, we find the story. He, he ran away. He ends up buying a ticket to Tarshish, gets on the boat, and then what he does, you know, sin is very tiring. He had a nap. Amazing. Can I tell you? Sin is a tiring thing. I, reala- I realized that many years ago. If you are always feeling tired and burnt out and weary, you've got to start tracing, what, where am I not living in the will of God? Because I want to tell you, the will of God is a spacious place. He says, come to me and you will find rest. Many of us say, I just need a few days off. Maybe that is a good idea as well. It's a good part of our rhythm. But I want to tell you even better than that, say yes to God. You'll find space, you'll find freedom like you'll never ever be able to find even on a two-week vacation in Maldives. You'll find rest in Him. Sin is tiring. I know that. I'm very good at sinning. But I've got a very good Savior. (laughs) That's why I'm so glad. But we're going to read a scripture together today, and we're going to make it a little bit further, our way further through this passage. So let's read the whole first chapter. Everyone okay for that? Good. I heard no yeses, so I'm just going to assume you're all right. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare... He went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what, from what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the next 15 minutes as we lean into your word, knowing that you are a God who speaks, knowing that you are a God who calls, knowing that you are a God who forgives, a God that gives second and third and fourth and fifth chances 
We thank you, God, that you would shape us this evening. We pray it every time. We pray it again, God. We don't want to just be stirred. We want to be changed. Do a deep work in our hearts, God. Amen. I'm a movie fan, and as I've said many times uh, around this book, if the first stanza or first little um, in exchange between God and Jonah, if God saying go, Jonah saying no, and starting to run, was a movie, it would have been the, called The Fugitive. Spending his life on the run, ducking and diving. So if the last few weeks was The Fugitive, I would like to say this evening, for the Disney fans, tonight's is Sleeping Beauty. It's one of those moments where we zero in on this passage where Jonah, in his first state, what he does is he falls asleep, running away from God. He takes a nap, gets a nice little duvet, puts a nice little bit of uh, background music on and sinks into a nice slumber in his apathetic ways while a storm rages all around him. But uh, before I get there, I just want to take us into the world of, of, of my life of sleeping. I've got, I know I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one here, but I've got some really strange sleeping habits. Some really strange ones. Ever since I was a little boy, I sleep every night with a fan on full blast. Summer, it's really helpful. Winter, I have my electric blanket on with the fan on as well. Very weird, I know. But the reason, maybe not because it's not because of the temperature, it's more because I love the white noise. I know. Afterwards, I'm going to need some prayer. So maybe if any of you got some, some insight or maybe a doctor full moment, we can just... Gabe, why? Why do you have this problem? My wife is demanding answers. She wants to know, why do you have this problem? It's weird. But she just has to submit. No, I'm joking. <laughs> she started to love it as well. But I want to tell you, I'm not the weirdest one in our family. <laughs> she is. Yeah. It's wonderful. In terms of sleeping, my wife, I want to tell you, before she falls asleep from, from 6 a.m. in the morning till 9 p.m. at night, she is, I promise you, the cleverest, the most switched on, the most administratively gifted, the most vision-focused, task-orientated person in the world. She can accomplish anything. Give her 6 a.m. till 9 p.m., she'll change your life. She does every day for me. But from 9 p.m. till 6 a.m., it's a different ballgame. I know, who sleeps that long? That's the first question when you ask. No, she's so efficient in the morning, she needs extra sleep at night. No, but I want to tell you, when Fiona closes her eyelids and, and she just drifts off uh, to sleep, something happens. This incredibly effective, strategic woman becomes very, very cute and very pretty. just want to put that out there, it's into my world. But, but really um, not the most engaged and sharpest tool in the shed in those moments. I'll give you one story to bring you up to speed. Was I, I came to bed a little bit later than her the one night. Um, she had fallen asleep. And as I walk in sneaking to, to, to my side of the bed, she sits bolt upright. And I freeze. <laughs> what have I done? You know? But nervous. And, and, and Fiona, what she does with me, just to let you know, is she, I get many to-do lists to do in a day. So helpful. Helpful for me if you need some, some order. So I'm always making sure, have, 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 I, have I done all the things, that, the tasks that have been set up for the day by my lovely wife? You know? Who finds a wife, finds a good thing. But she said this one time, she said, bolt up, I looked me in the eyes, and I was like, here we go, I've forgotten something. She goes, and she points her finger at me, and she said to me, have you chosen? And I sit back, and I'm like, chosen what, girl? I'm thinking, going through my brain, I've done that, I've washing, I did the dishwasher, what, what, what? Have I chosen? And she says, have you chosen your flavor? <laughs> Not even a word of a lie. This is a story she can't, she can't validate it because uh, we'll get there. But um, what happened was then she said that, and I, then I start to laugh. I start to giggle because I'm going, Some, this is not right. 
So I'm starting to giggle, and she's starting to get more irritated because I'm laughing at her. She says, I said, what, am I, what flavor was She goes, have you chosen your flavor of ice cream? As if it's this no-brainer, stupid, um, you're an idiot. Why are you not understanding me, Gabe? I'm like, I'm so sorry, Fia, I'm so... And I, by now, by now, I'm laughing. I'm just laughing, it's game over. She gets so frustrated with me laughing, she shakes her head, pulls the duvet over her, dramatically, turns away and says, no cuddles for you. <laughs> True story. True story. I'm telling you, it was a beautiful time. I chuckled my way to sleep that night. My, my giggles were mixed with the fan noise. But I want to tell you, it's, such, it's a funny little illustration I've been dying to tell you because I've loved that story. I've told quite a few people about it. My wife says it's probably the last time I'm allowed to tell that story now. So there you go. But I want to tell you the incredible thing about Fiona. As I said, super effective in the day. But when she's asleep, this incredibly powerful woman becomes just something that's a little bit, I'm not too sure what's going on there. Uh, tread carefully. And as I was thinking about that, I realized that that actually is the church as well. That the church in this world is the most powerful, the most, has got the greatest treasure inside of it, has got the greatest strategy to bring healing and peace and reconcil- reconciliation to this world. It's a slumbering giant that's too often rendered ineffective and powerless because it is too self-involved and unaware of God's relentless desire to seek and save that which is lost. The church is napping. I want to tell you that. I look at the church and I see the latent power of God, Christ in them, the hope of glory that can change Cape Town in a day if the church woke up. But too often the church is so self-absorbed, just moving the chairs around, not really engaging with the mission that God has called us to. I ask this question because I've been plagued with it for, for a while and I, I wanted to know what was the church in Europe doing when Hitler marched across the Eastern Front? slaughtering people after people after people, gas chambers, trains, and the church? What were they doing? Maybe a little bit more close to home. What was happening in apartheid? How did apartheid, how did that travesty, how did that thing, apartheid, happen on the church's watch? Can I tell you, during the apartheid, churches printed their bulletins. Churches did not close their doors. Churches kept meeting. And I know there, um, there, this is a generalization. There probably were many churches who did things. But on the whole, question, maybe today even more strongly, what is the church doing with this hashtag, this must fall, that must fall, this racism that's starting to rise up against black and white and white and black in our country? What is the church doing besides putting little Facebook statuses up? Are we engaging with our neighbors? Are we actually saying we have the answer? Just some questions. I ask these questions because I want to know what we are called to do. And I believe God has placed something deep inside of us. But back to the story. Jonah, running from God, finds the ship, goes and heads down into the boat and has a nap. But I love the fact that even in rebellion, Jonah in gross rebellion, who's turned his back on God, has run as far as he can go away from God. In gross rebellion, God's call still, still exists upon his life. How amazing is that? That God's call supersedes your rebellion. It supersedes your disobedience. It's amazing. Because can I tell you why that's so encouraging for me? It's not the call of Gabe. It's the call of God. If it was the call of Gabe, I have to sustain it. Then if I know if I've messed it up, it's gone. But the great news is God has called and He's spoken. What He speaks into motion, He will accomplish. His word never returns void. So I want to tell you, maybe you're sitting back tonight and you say, I, I'm in rebellion to God. I've been running. I haven't been picking up what God has called me to do. I want to tell you the voice of God still speaks and says, my son, my daughter, I still want to use you. 
There doesn't have to be some penance or some weeks of sackcloth and ashes or some beating yourself over the shoulder or I need to go and do a course before I can... No, God says, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Respond. This is good theology. So we find the story and we find in this, this Jonah narrative, I know that Jonah gets a lot of airplay. The Ninevites at the end get a lot of airplay. The, the, the big mammal in the middle, the whale, gets a lot of story time as well. But if you've read chapter 1 as we did there this evening, you'll find there's another people group who often don't get much um, applause or get much mention. They called, they introduced to us as the Desperate Sailors. Another good indie band name, the Desperate Sailors. And I love these guys. They, in Jonah's rebellion, he's running away from God. God's, God's told him to go there. He's going here. But even in the midst of his rebellion, God says, I'm still going to use this moment for my glory. How profound. He finds this thing. Jonah gets woken up as the storm is going. This was not some, some low-key little rapid uh, on, on the, the lake out there, Milnerton Tableview Flay. It wasn't just some rippling on the, on the ocean. This was a, a, a storm of the perfect storm nature. It was so huge and the waves were, must have been so mammoth that sailors, whose, this was their job, they were so convinced about this, this thing. They knew how to do this stuff. They were terrified for their lives. That was a big storm. This wasn't some beginner learner's vibe. This was massive um, storm of the most epic nature. And this incredible thing gets to this moment where they're so scared, they're so scared of the storm that the Bible tells us they're doing three things. Number one, they're fearing for their lives. It says they're they're fearing for their lives because of the storm. Number two, they are calling out to their gods. And number three, they start to throw their cargo overboard to lighten the load. I want to tell you, these desperate sailors, because of the storm, because of Jonah, they were throwing away their livelihood. They were throwing away their inheritances. They were throwing away all the money, the monetary goods overboard because of one man's disobedience. Wow. And what was Jonah all this time? All this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. Yeah. I want to tell you, our running from the call of God has consequences not just on you and I, but on those around us. The call of God, can I tell you, this is the, my shock, our Western civilization, me, myself, and I understanding. It's not about you. The gospel, from the very beginning, Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, I want to bless you. Why? So that you may be a blessing. The whole narrative of scripture is for Israel was set apart. Why? Not because they were amazing. They were set apart so that you may be a sign and a wonder to the world. So that you can be a blessing to the nations. God is not a God who separates unto himself and says, okay, stuff the rest. He says, I call you to myself so I can use you for the others. For those around you. Yeah. But this message did not found Jonah. I, I find this, this grips me because years ago, I, I met, came to Cape Town and I'd heard that there was a, a man who was a, a really incredible man in ministry in Durban and he had moved down here and, and I wanted to meet this guy. But as I started to, to investigate where he was, because I knew he lived in Cape Town, I, I've heard that his, his life had hit a bit of a, a detour. He had made a couple bad decisions and then that his marriage was falling apart. And, and my heart broke. I didn't know this guy from up close, but from, from a distance, because I'd heard him preach many times. And, and my heart was like, I was saying, God, I'd love just to meet this guy, just to remind him of your grace, what he used to teach, what he used to speak of. I, I want to remind him, because it sounds like he's forgotten. He's much older than me, this guy. And, and I remember being praying that stuff, and I thought, but I'll probably never get to, where, where do you find? Cape Town's a big place. Driving out of Life Changes Church one day, I saw him drive past. I've been praying this. So I thought, what is the, the godly 
thing to do here. Stalk him. <laughs> so what I did is, I, instead of turning left, I changed the indicator and I chased him down, trying to follow him into his houses, uh, and I, but I lost him in that moment. But through that, I, I was like, God, you've called me to, sp- to do something. I can't just wash my hands of that moment. Picked up the phone, SMSed him. Monthly replied, we SMSed and said, hey, cool, I loved your chat. We got to your chat and a relationship formed. And God started to do amazing things in that journey. Uh, and, and there was restoration and reconciliation. But the story goes on that and that trajectory. But, but what I felt God say to me again, this in the last couple of weeks, I've been reading this passage, saying, Gabe, years ago, you put your day on hold to chase a man in his car. Will you still chase other people? Will you still pursue people who are running from you? Will you or are you just going to wash your hands of people? Are they too hard? That's not my, I'm on a mission. I'm going, I've got stuff to do. Come on, please don't, don't delay me, desperate sailors. Don't wake me up from my, my slumber. And I felt God say to me, Gabe, will you chase them like I do? Can I tell you, Spurgeon calls, called in, a, in a very honoring way, called Jesus the hound dog of heaven. Because he says he pursues relentlessly. He does not give up. Psalm 23 says, surely grace and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And that's not some cute devotional thing. That's the nature of our Father. He pursues and he pursues and he pursues. He does not grow tired. He does not grow weary. He's not afraid of our sin. He, came, he even became our sin so that he may pursue us and call him back to himself. And God says, this thing, if it starts about you, the call of God gave, the call of me, becomes very small. But God has called us to live a bigger story. Don't wash your hands of that. The, the problem was, If you read the story of the Bible, there was a man named Jesus. He came, he lived a life of 30-something years, 33 years. And um, the night before he was about to be crucified, he took his closest mates. And he said, guys, these 12 disciples said, come with me. We want to go and pray because we're standing on the precipice of a moment that's going to change history. And what happened was he calls these disciples. He goes up to pray. And three times, not once, not twice, but three times, these disciples fall asleep on Jesus. A little bit heavy eyes, they doze. Jesus has gone up to pray and wrestle and, and, and to such an extent that he's sweating blood because this is not, he's not afraid of dying. He just, there's the, the weight of knowing that the world is about to change. The greatest day in history is about to happen. And, and everything that's going to rip eternity and see, be the, the, the cross is going to be plunged into the center of history. And all men will see it. And all men will find, find God through it if they come to him. And Jesus knew what he was, this, the, the magnitude of the day that lay ahead. The disciples did not. Jesus, this, this praying all night thing, do that water into wine thing again. That was quite fun. Walking on water thing, that was cool. Praying all night, oh, they didn't get it. And three times he says to him, wake up, why can't you stay awake just for a little while and pray with me? They didn't understand the significance of the moment. This evening, my prayer for us, in a very simple way, is to appeal that we would start to understand the significance of the moment that we are living in. I believe that God has placed you and I in this city, in this nation, for such a time as this. This is not a time for pack for Perth. This is not a time for to disengage. This is not a season to pull back in the macro scheme of things in our country, in our nation. This is not a time to pull back from family members. This is not a time back to pull back or, or settle down for a quick nap because saying, I'm okay, when we've got friends and family around us who are desperate and who are throwing away their inheritances. What I read about that, when I read that, they threw their cargo overboard. I can tell you people in our city, people in our offices, people in our flats, people in our complexes are throwing away their inheritance because they have no clue what to do with their sexuality. 
the storm of sexuality is so big, they don't know what to do, but you find something, they're giving up their sexuality, going after things, because they don't know what to do. Just like the sailors, they did not know what to do, they did not know where to turn, so they threw things away. And I promise you people, in the name of sexuality, in the name of finance, in the name of, of relationships, in the name of all these things, people don't know what to do, so they're throwing away their inheritances. And the church are asleep. All this time, Jonah was asleep in the hold. There's a scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, that I love. It's like the alarm clock to my soul wakes me up out of my slumber. Paul, preaching to the church in Ephesus, he gets this one-liner, and he says this, he says this, Wake up, O sleeper! Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. This alarm clock that reverberates and calls me awake again. And if I, I would ask you, commit that message, that verse to heart, because God is trying to raise us out of apathy, call us out of our safety, call us out of our, our, our just secluded living, our just sanitized, you know, it's all clean, neat and tidy, and God is calling us to be like His son, enter into the mess of the world. Can I tell you what I love? There's a scripture in Matthew, Matthew 5, says, you are the salt of the, the earth. And, and, and the We've always talked around what about saltiness? What is the flavor of the earth? That's cool. So we're the flavor of the world, maybe. Or, or it sanitizes, and the people say it, it keeps things clean. Or, you know, that's what, you know, in, in, the, in, in the Jewish days, when they were at the rubbish dump, which was filled with human waste, garbage disposal, brokenness, they were, wouldn't be surprised to find dead bodies living on these garbage dumps. What they used to do to sanitize them was they would come and they'd bring a whole bunch of salt and throw it on top of this rubbish heap. And Jesus then says, you are the soul of the earth. Can I tell you where the church is supposed to be found? On top of the crud of the world. Close, getting close and deep in, not afraid. The church too often, we restrict, we pull ourselves back. That's your mess. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm a Christian. I don't get involved in that. When God has called the church to be up against the brokenness of society, be up against the, the calamity, the pain, and have solutions, and have answers, and have love for the people. That's where we're called to be. The problem is, though, is we often are too enamored with our own safety and our own comfort. Me included. I'm the, probably the first. There's a story that I love to tell as I bring this into close. I've told it many times, and I'll tell it forever, because it makes me look a little bit cleverer and more well-read than I am. But um, we all know the Titanic. Everyone heard of the Titanic? Leonardo DiCaprio? <laughs> Hashtag Leo. He, do, he won the Oscar. Yes. But you remember Leo and Kate and the king of the world moment, Titanic, we all know it, we've got the image in our head, we all, my heart will go on, Celine Dion, we've all got the soundtrack, I'm pretty sure. But uh, you know what, here's a, here's a big shocker for you all, it was a real ship. What? what, don't joke, it was in history, it was real. But what happens is the story goes, and I, and I can I verify this on Wikipedia, so it definitely is true, um, <laughs> is that... That night, the Titanic was going, and, 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 and the violins were playing, and life was good. The party was happening. Leonardo was drawing Kate in the car. We fast-forwarded through that scene. You know, it was all happening on the boat. And then what happened, though, this Titanic was plunging. We didn't know that it was on its way for disaster. Hits an iceberg, starts to go. The lights slowly start to go out, panic stations, and the ship starts to plunge into the icy depths with men, men women, children going to their deaths. Just over the horizon was another ship named the Californian. Did you know? And the Californian had enough space on board to save every member of the Titanic. But listen to what happened. 
the, the, ship, the captain of the ship of the Californian was asleep when this started to happen. So what happened is the ship, Titanic, started to go down into the ocean depths. What, uh, they started to send up distress signals into the sky, hoping that somebody would come and rescue the, to their rescue. Poof! Threw up the first one. The man, the first mate on board of the Californian, ran to the captain's door, knocked on the door, woke the captain up, said, Captain, Captain, distress signals just over the horizon. And the captain said, how often apart are they? He said, about 10 minutes apart from each other. He says, wake me up when they're five minutes apart from each other. So he turned over and went back to sleep. A few minutes passed. They started, in desperation, they started to throw up signals every minute going up. And, and please, as this thing started going, the lights were going out and, and, and the tragedy started happening. The guy ran back. He said, Captain, Captain, they, they're more frequent now. They, they're much more frequent. They're just over the horizon. And the captain said, what color are they? From what company are they with? And he said, no, they're red. He says, they're not with our company. And the Californian captain went back to sleep and the Californian went charging along its path while every single man, woman, and child besides Rose <laughs> went to their death. Went to their deaths. It's, it's gripped my heart, that story, because I've realized that this world is on a collision course. Our friends are on a collision course with calamity, with death, with brokenness, with emptiness. And they're throwing away inheritances. They're throwing away. And little do we know that our neighbors, our colleagues, are giving us clues every day. They're throwing out distress signals saying, will somebody help me? Yeah. And the church are going, I've got a prayer meeting to get to. I've got, I've got stuff to do. When I think God is calling the ship, the, the, the captains, he's calling inside of us, calling us awake, the sons and daughters, wake up, O sleeper, for the mission of God is to and, seek and save that which is lost. To conclude, this morning I felt this. I want to say that understand of Jonah and his, and his rebellion. Sin is a big deal. Sin is a big deal, as I said, because it has consequences not only for you, but for those around you. Sin is a big deal. It will take you further than you ever wanted to go. It will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. I said this morning at Milnerton, there's a, a road from Durban to Joburg called the N3. And we moved to Durban, and we loved holidays in Durban because you had the sea, you had the Sharks rugby team. What more do you need in life? Yeah. Huh? Life is good. We were there, and we started to live there, so it seemed like permanent holidays. But then we started to go on holiday to Joburg, because my brothers lived up there, which got a thumbs down from me most times. Like, boo, 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 don't go to Joburg on holiday. Ugh, what have they got there? Nothing. Sorry, just venting. But what we'll do, my parents will put us in the car saying, we're heading up to Joburg, and if you know those freeways, as you're driving, we'll see the N2 peel off down to Cape Town. We'll say, I'll be like, Mom and Dad, Cape Town, much better holiday, much better holiday. Let's go that way, and oh, we missed it. Ugh. Get to the next one. N1, Bloom. I'm like, Bloom? Bloom's even better. Even Bloom is better than Joburg. That's saying something. I'm just joking. If you're from Bloom, we love you. Bless you. They've even got a waterfront there. Mimosa Mall. Come on. That's good. But we'll miss that to off, to off ramp. And then if you know those freeways going to Joburg, as the closer you get, the cars start going quicker, the highway becomes bigger, the off ramp's now far over there, gets, the off ramps become smaller and smaller, and you're looking at the map and you miss that one to Benoni, you miss that one, and all of a sudden you're in Joburg and you don't know how to get out of that freeway. Has anyone ever experienced those moments where it leads to many fights in, in marriage relationships, those, those driving moments? Not me, others I've heard. I want to say this, that sometimes we set off on a journey thinking we can control it, and I'll, there'll be an off-ramp. I'll, I'll, I'll jump off it sometime. 
So, ah, you know, we're playing around with sin and, and disobedience and rebellion, and God is in his mercy saying, there's an off-ramp, take it, take it. But we're like, no, there'll be another one up ahead, I don't need to make a decision today, and we go a little bit further. There's another off-ramp, ah, deal with a little, nah, I'm okay with what God's, I'm okay with my own life, I'm happy. But I want to tell you, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And I, wanted, I, I really believe that God has called us to make decisions that today is an off-ramp moment. Don't wait until it's too late when there's no more off-ramps and you've gone too far and it's taken you further than you wanted to go. Don't pay too much more than you want. Sin will make you pay more than you ever wanted to pay. It's subtle. So sin is a big deal. So much so that I love the sailors that came to Jonah. They woke him up and, and, they, and Jonah said, yep, it's me. I'm the cause of the storm. And their response to him is this. Oh, why did you do it? My prayer, my prayer is that I'll, I don't want anyone ever have to come to me and say, Gabe, why did you do that? Why did you do that? Or why didn't you do that? It struck me hard. But I want to tell you the great news, sin is a big deal. The great news is that God is a bigger deal. God is a bigger deal in this sin. Take the off-ramp and find that God will provide more than you could ever, ever imagine. His grace will bring you to a spacious place. And I really trust that God's going to do that in our lives tonight. So I really felt just this evening, God's going to do two things. We're going to take ownership of our stuff. And men and women, maybe one or two people are going to say yes to Jesus, yes to his call again, yes to that. And it's not based on your merits. It's not based on your obedience. It's based on his obedience. And say, Jesus, I'm taking the off-ramp. I'm getting off my journey, which is secluded, safe, sanitized living. I'm getting onto the wild mission you've called me to because the call of God remains. And I'm not going to sh- shirk that responsibility. I'm not going to shake it off. And secondly, that we're going to access it. And when we do that, we're going to say, God, would you wake us up to the great call in Christ Jesus for th- sons and daughters who are lost. We're going to wake, wake us up for the desperate sailors who are around. Wake us up for those in our flats, in our, in our, our colleagues at work, at school, those around us, our family members who are crying, are throwing away inheritances. The church is going to wake up and they will not turn over like the captain of the California and say, they're not with us. But we'll pick up that call. And God will do something in our hearts. Can I pray? Father, this evening amongst anecdotes and amongst little insights into your, into your word, God, I pray we're not looking for clever preaching. We're looking for a clever God who can make broken situations into whole situations. We're looking for a God who can take rebel hearts and make them obedient. You're a God who can take hearts that are broken and and, and, in pain and in rejection, and you can bring wholeness to that heart. So God, I pray right now as we sit in this space, whether it be one story, whether it be a scripture, whether it be your spirit just speaking in now, Sons and daughters will take that off-ramp tonight. Maybe you, sir, ma'am, have been here, and you've heard this this evening, and there's something, you know that thing that's just come to mind, saying, I've been doing that for too long. Or maybe I haven't been doing that thing I said I would. Or maybe you've been giving into an addiction time and time again. You've been sowing into it and, and, and refusing to, to and, it, and it's crippling you and not allowing you to run for God. Or maybe you've been just settled in apathy. Today is an off-ramp moment. The way we take an off-ramp is we say, God, would you forgive me? And then we receive his forgiveness.
Father, as we do the business with you in this moment, I thank you, God, you're starting to shake and stir and wake up your bride. That we would not be people self-absorbed, people who will be sin-focused, but God, we'll be people who are Christ-focused and we'll start to understand that you've called us to a bigger story than we could ever, ever imagine. We thank you, God, that your grace goes further than our weakness, goes further than our brokenness, it goes further than our rebellion. Your grace goes further still. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.